around hope, we encourage questions. We have a whole course here, uh, probably our most popular course over the last 15 years. Thousands of people have taken it called Alpha that's all built on questions. The questions that people who are seeking truth about God and life are asking and seeking for the meaning of life. If you don't ask, you don't find. Jesus even says, ask and the answers will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. The only bad question is the one you don't ask. So we encourage that here. And today is an all out unapologetic effort for you to be able to ask your questions. We have <laughs> lots and lots of baskets full of <laughs> questions up here and they're coming in on my phone uh, from our other campuses uh, that are listening to this sermon live right now, Waukee and Johnston Grimes, and also online. And so I'll be filtering in some of those as we go too. Uh, but I wanna encourage you to keep asking. That This starts a conversation for you where you're inquisitive and in, are inquiring. And you don't just let your questions about God and faith and, and church and life sit on the shelf, but you ask them. Uh, around here, we encourage it we, um, we, because we know what God does with that. He creates deeper and stronger faith. I'm joined up here by a distinguished panel of wonderful uh, <laughs> pastors. Uh, everyone say hi to Pastor Caroline. A lot of you know Pastor Caroline. Caroline served uh, as a pastor here at Hope for about a decade uh, and is now back in medicine. She's also a doctor. She's the Albert Schweitzer of Hope. Uh, she has degrees in theology and in medicine, and uh, she's just brilliant like that. And she and I kind of started this tradition back when we were teaching Alpha together back in the day where we just opened up a forum and said, you know, all the questions that are bubbling up, what if we gave you another opportunity at the retreat and people could just come and ask whatever they want and we'll do our best. Uh, to answer those. Pastor Jeremy is here. Everyone say hi, Pastor Jeremy. <laughs> Pastor Jeremy is, is, uh, <laughs> is that like a parade wave? The way, royal way. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. Elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist. Elbow, See why I love wrist, these people? It's just fun to work here. Uh, pastor Jeremy is, is a, um, uh, the uh, teaching pastor here, an executive pastor, and he also oversees our Alpha ministry now, so he's been doing the Q&As for a long time as well. And uh, we feel like we're better together. We have a better chance at this. So we're just going to go around. We're going to take these questions randomly. Sometimes you'll see us put questions away. It's probably because they're repeats. Uh, and somebody else uh, has already asked it and answered it. Please know that we're going to get to your questions, hopefully in one way or another, not all at this service, or we'll be here <laughs> till Thursday. Uh, but we're going to get to your questions by uh, grouping them after the service. And we're going to collect them, put them uh, in different categories and piles based on subject matter. And they're going to inform the sermons that we are going to be preaching over the next year here at Hope and the themes that we're going to preach on. We want to make sure we're preaching sermons that are answering questions that people are actually asking. And I think that's a big problem in the whole church today is there's a lot of missing going on. So we want to make sure we're responding to where you're living and the things that you're dealing with in your daily life. Uh, and we're also going to take them in groups and the most frequently asked questions we're going to find a way to publish somewhere on our blog or website and we'll direct you to it so that you can dig in more. And as always, if you have questions, ask Pastor Richard, he's here. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, ask any of us. Uh, let us know. You can contact us. We love questions and we love to respond. Uh, and so without further ado, let's dive in. Pastor Caroline, you want to begin? Right. You bet. Can I be cremated when I die or do not I need my body in heaven? Yes, you can be cremated, or you can be embalmed, or you can be buried at sea, or, or whatever, um, because uh, the reality is, is it all ends up in the same place. Yeah. Um, 
God is so amazing that he will, he will resurrect our bodies. We don't know how. It's part of the miracle and mystery of God. Um, and I'm looking forward to the, my um, sanctified body where, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, running and watching calories and it's, you don't have to worry about what size dress you can wear today <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> I love God's miracle of resurrection. We're all looking forward to those days. That'll be, that'll be heaven. Absolutely. Well, I don't know what you're talking about right now. How many hours a week do you spend in preparation, and when did you decide uh, to become a pastor? I think that's something that we could all uh, attend to. I think for me, the, the, the act of preparation when I'm getting ready to preach, that is an ongoing thing and it never really stops. I wish it would. I wish it could stop at the end of a workday, but it's something that is always going on. But there's certain disciplines that are uh, routine every week. Studying God's Word and, and starting to think about what's going on in the text and then taking that and then asking the question, what do people want to know about this? And then start to figure out ways in which to connect what the Bible's saying, which does an incredible job because it's a living and an active word. Don't have to do a lot of it. Some people say, "Woo, God, you guys are really great. At no, God already did, wrote the story. <laughs> we just get to retell it. And it's the best story ever. And I started late becoming a pastor because I was hard-headed. So I didn't go to seminary until I was 28 years old. We're glad you did, Jeremy. Here's a question from the Waukee campus that was just submitted and Pastor Pat texted it over to me uh, on the little you asked for it card uh, out at Waukee. The question is, do you have to be born again a one-time event to enter heaven? It's a really good question. In John chapter 3, verse 3, uh, the Bible says you must be born again uh, in order to be saved, in order to have this relationship that's eternal with God. The question is, what does it mean to be born again? I think that gets misunderstood and uh, wrongly defined uh, quite often uh, amongst religious people. And it's turned into a litmus test where for some they say being born again means you must pray a certain prayer the way I prayed a certain prayer when I became a Christian or you're not really saved. Or you must answer an altar call at a service the way I've answered an altar call at a service or you're not really saved. You realize you have no biblical support for those views, right? That those are religious traditions good traditions in some cases that God uses to bring people to faith, but there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible, and there's no altar call the way we talk about altar calls often uh, in the Bible as well. What there is is a definition of born again in the original Greek, which is pretty clear. It means to receive a new life from God through Jesus Christ. It means to be, it, it's what happens to you automatically and naturally when you put your faith and trust in Jesus instead of yourself or instead of somebody else in this world. So to be born again is to get new eyes, to get a fresh perspective, to be born from above, literally, in the Greek, to be born from God, to start to see life the way God created you to see it and to live it out in that way is what it means to be born again. And the good news is, is that's available for you now, here, right in this moment. All you simply have to do is receive this gift and say, I put my trust in you, Jesus. I give my life to you. It doesn't have to be a certain kind of formula or magic words. Do not reduce salvation to hocus pocus magic phrases. It's way bigger than that. And it's coming from a God of grace and a God of love. He simply wants you to trust. He wants you to believe in the gift of love he's given to you through his son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose from the dead 
to give you salvation and to offer that freely to the whole world? Good question. I want to learn to pray better, stronger, and more powerfully. How can I do this? Mm. Um, the more you practice any discipline, including prayer, the better you will get at it. Um, and I think it's helpful sometimes, sometimes you, I, maybe it's just me, but sometimes I get into a rut with my prayer life. And so for me especially, it's good to explore different types of prayer, whether that's centering prayer or whether that's uh, prayer walks or, or something else. There are a lot of great prayer classes that you can take here at Hope. There are also some in, yep. incredible prayer warriors that if you want to be specifically mentored in prayer, they will walk alongside you, um, praying in groups, praying one-on-one. -on -one. Um, the, more, the more that you pray, the more you, the stronger you will get. Having said that, there are some people who have special gifts in certain types of prayer, um, uh, prayers of healing, that sort of thing, and it may be just the, the spiritual gift that God has given you. Every one of us is called to pray, and every one of our prayer lives can strengthen and get better. It's really just a matter of practice and asking others to, to walk alongside with you. How do you really know what God's purpose for you is? This is a great question. I think a question that so many people wrestle with. And I would say uh, even now that the people who are in their 20s and 30s are wrestling with this question because the palette of things that we have to choose from is broader than it ever has been. And what I want to do is I want to relieve you of the pressure. You want to know what God's purpose for your love is? To be in relationship with him that you would know that God loves you and as a response to that love, that you would extend that love to the people around you, that you would literally reflect God's light into the world. And in that, that gives you freedom that you can do within the boundary of God's word, whatever it is that you, that you wanna do. I think sometimes people will say to me, how do I know what God wants me to do because I don't wanna make God angry? That somehow if I choose this job over this job, then maybe I made the wrong choice and God's going to punish me. We don't have a God who punishes that way. No matter what you're doing, you can reflect God's love, you can reflect God's light, you can experience his presence. And that's what God's ultimate purpose is to use you to make heaven more crowded, which makes everything else a lot more fun. Awesome. Thanks. Here's a question from the West Des Moines campus. What will heaven be like? And the second part is, when is Pastor Mike going to run a marathon? <laughs> <laughs> the second one's easy. It's not going to happen. Uh, I mean, look, I'm six foot five. Some people shouldn't even try. It's not possible. My son and Pastor Jeremy run marathons. Not going to happen. What will heaven be like? I, I can get into that uh, just for a minute. That's a great question. Heaven is going to be better than this. Uh, it's going to be great. In fact, it's going to be better than the best thing that you've ever experienced in this, in this kingdom, in this world. And that's the part we miss a lot of times because we have more of a Hollywood version of what heaven's going to be like than a biblical version uh, or, or one that's built on, uh, you know, literature of, of, of the Middle Ages or something where it's all just going to be, you know, the Hollywood version, clouds and angels and harps and in confirmation classes, when we do Q&As, a lot of times the question is, heaven sounds really boring, why would I want to go? Well, if that's all heaven is, I tend to agree. I mean, who wants to hear, harp music's beautiful, but all day, every day, really? I mean, and just kind of wearing white robes all the time, that's, that's going to be it? Heaven is much more real than that. Uh, the Bible uses metaphors to describe it because Jesus knows that we aren't going to be able to get it. 
we, we aren't going to be able to grasp it any better than a baby in the womb is going to be able to fully grasp what's life going to be out on the other side. Uh, we get glimpses of it, we get senses of it, we get indications of it, we get metaphors of it in scripture. Jesus says heaven is like a little mustard seed that grows into the greatest of all uh, trees. Heaven is like a pearl of great price that when a merchant finds it, he's willing to give up everything else in order to hold on to the precious uh, gift of that pearl. Heaven is worth holding on to. Heaven is worth uh, 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 celebrating and putting everything else aside so that we don't lose that gift. Uh, you're going to love it. It's going to be very real. It never for a moment will be boring. By definition, heaven, can't be, heaven will not and cannot be frustrating. It's not like you're going to get there and go, yeah, I really don't like the place God gave me. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I really wish I was on the fourth floor instead of the third. I, I, I'm just not happy with my, my accommodations and my job and, and what I'm doing. Heaven is fully satisfying uh, and complete. It's the life God intended us to live from the beginning in the Garden of Eden and that we've messed up in the fall away from God. Uh, but he's restoring it. He's bringing it back. And that's why we pray thy kingdom come. Caroline? This is one from online. Um, how can I help and what advice can I give to a young Christian woman who is struggling with body image issues? Um, this is a huge issue in our culture today, and it's not just young women. I want you to know there are a lot of young men who struggle yep. this, with this, and it's not just young people. It is also people who don't consider themselves young. Um, the, usually the basis of this type of issue or uh, eating disorders or body image issues come from a a misunderstanding or a story that the person has told themselves or has been told to them that is based in lies, that their worth is based upon their appearance, that they only are um, considered fully, you know, human or fully acceptable if they conform to an image, and that image usually is truly terribly distorted, very distorted. Um, that the person cannot love themselves. And many of these times in these cases, they do need um, counseling, special care, uh, nutritional support. It can create some significant medical issues. For somebody who walks alongside someone who has body issues or an eating disorder or, or this type of thing, the thing that is key is to love them and to tell them every day, you are loved for who you are, not what you look like, not what you can do, not your performance, not your job. It is, you are loved because you are a child of God. And you're gonna have to say that over and over and over and over again because they have a narrative in their head that they are not worthy and the only way that they can be in control, they can control what they eat, or what they wear, or how they behave in the world. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a self-defense and a protective mechanism. Many of these people need professional help with this. What we can do is walk alongside them and love them despite, and many of them make really you know, devastating decisions. Love them despite their decisions and continually tell them, I love you, God loves you, the end. It's, it's just grace, grace, grace. Four questions in a row. All, um, what are your views on homosexuality? Does God like people who are gay? If God is love, then uh, how can we not accept people who uh, are uh, in same-sex relationships? Uh, just want to put the record straight right off the bat. All people are welcome here at Lutheran Church of Hope. 
every single person that's never up. And, and I think one of the things that, that, that's happened, which, which humanity has a tendency to do, is to elevate certain things more than other, other things. And right now, especially, this, this issue gets like the most attention. And so we do a horrible injustice to people and we, we somehow single people out and say, because of this decision or because you are this way, that somehow you're worse off than anybody else. And there's just any, there's no truth in it. The Bible says that all have sinned. All people have sinned. We all fall short of God's standard, what God's design is for, relation, for, for, for life. And we need to do a good job. And as a church, we need to repent for that. For being, to, to minimize people, Jesus never did that. That's just not loving. Now, we still need to know what does the Bible say, but we need to know what the Bible says about all things. But uh, we just, we want, we want you to know, we want the community around here to know that, that we have to all acknowledge our own place. All of us are in need of a Savior we all need God's love and God's grace, and we're doing the best that we can right now to, to speak into uh, this, a lot of the unfortunate hurt that has been given to people who are in same-sex relationships. And I know Mike is doing a, a lot of things, a lot of work right now, which I know he'll want to speak a lot to uh, in addition to that. I'll just add a PS to that. Uh, I've been growing in concern over the last several years that... Uh, while what we're saying may be biblically accurate, we want to make sure our actions are following our words. We don't want to be hypocritical in this way. And so when we teach consistently, as we have over the years here in this church, that on any issue uh, where we want to talk about sexual boundaries, and it seems like our culture wants to talk about that a lot, to the point of being obsessed with it, whenever we want to talk about issues like this, we have to start with love, and we have to end with love, and love has to be sprinkled in all throughout. And if we don't love, we lose our mission as the church. We lose our balance, we lose our bearing, we lose our identity, we lose who we are, and we lose our prophetic voice. And I'm not willing to give that up. I'm not willing to sacrifice that in order to, to try to win some sort of culture war or battle even along the way. There's too much at stake here. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to be ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to not just say that we love people. We have to actually love people. Romans 12 says this. It says, don't just say you love people, really love them. So my challenge to you is, if you are straight, uh, how do you love people who are gay? If you are somebody who has one view of some issue in the world, how do you love people who have the opposite view and a different view? Because your Lord commands you to do that and commands me to do that. I've taken those words to heart on this particular issue and it dawned on me, we, and we are so blessed in this church with people who are openly gay and they come into this community and this congregation, they're active, they're involved, they make us a way better church on all sorts of levels like everybody else does around here. Uh, and when, when I sit down and I listen to them, I, I always learn. And so I got this idea. I don't know why it took this long. I'm going to start real quietly without a lot of fanfare, an LGBTQ listening group where the listening part is mine, where my job is to go and meet with these folks every month and just listen. And I, wanna, I say, I want to hear your stories. I want to hear your hurts. And I'm telling you, the hurts are deep. And a lot of the wounds come from church. 
A lot of the wounds come from Christians who've told them in a million different ways their whole lives, you're going to hell because of who you are, which isn't biblical, by the way. So we have a problem. The problem isn't always just say, well, the problem is, is that there's some sin out there and there's some kind of behavioral thing. And Jesus is pretty quick to say, if you don't have any sexual sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. It, it, you, you can go ahead and go against people who are committing adultery or who are, who are crossing boundaries that are sexual. But what about yourself? What about, what about your own attitudes? What about your own view? What, what about the way you see the world and other people in it? We all have sin that needs to be confessed and need, we need God's grace for. So let's, let's be more honest about it, is my hope. Let, let's be more loving about it, not just in words, but in deeds. I'm telling you, we've had major breakthroughs in this group. We've been meeting for several months. Several times along the way, I've just been blown away. I'm, like, I'm just so glad we're doing this. I'm so glad I'm hearing these stories. And now we're opening it up, which is why, for the first time, you're hearing about it publicly. If you know folks, if you're one of the uh, people who'd be interested in this listening group, let myself know or let Leela Griffin from our care ministry know. We'll get you connected. We'll let you know when it is. And we would love to hear more about this. We want to be a church that is known for loving everybody in this community, of bringing the light of God's love to the whole world around us, not just those that we're most comfortable with. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm done. That's it. <laughs> Amen. Go in peace through the Lord. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. Sorry. <laughs> not you. Everybody but you, Jeremy. <laughs> sorry. When Caroline says we're done, we're, we're done. done. That's pretty much how it always works. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Um, how do you know when it's the Spirit talking or the world? Um, the Spirit is always going to lead you to the truth that's found in Scripture. So if, if you feel like the Spirit is telling you to do something, you need to check it with what the Bible says, what God's Word says. So if you feel like the Spirit is telling you to rob a bank, not, not happening, that was, you know, the pizza you had last night kind of deal, okay? Um, you have to check it against God's Word. Um, then the other thing I think that's important to do is not just God's Word, because if, when you do this Christianity thing in private, um, you, can, you can get off the rails. And so it's really important also, especially with big decisions, is to uh, reach out to those mature Christians around you who can then help you discern, is this God's spirit or is this something else going on? And help you know and process through and understand what God is calling you to do. So it's, it's testing the spirit. Mm. Um, and that, it's a process that can take some time. Yeah. Um, and in our instant gratification world, that's, that's not always right. an easy thing to do. Well said. Do you have to read the Bible to know God? No, you don't have to read the Bible to know God. And there are people uh, for many different, re based on where they live or what they, they may be illiterate, uh, aren't able to read the Bible. But that's a gift that we have, those of us who have that opportunity. That's why Martin Luther, when he did the Reformation, sought to put the language, or the Bible in the language of the people who he was ministering to. But the Bible is a wonderful way to get to know the nature, the character, and the narrative of God and how God relates uh, to his people. And so you don't have to do it, but my, my gentle challenge back is, why wouldn't you want to? Some of you say, well, I started in Genesis, I got about three sentences into Leviticus, and I got <laughs> bored of it. Okay. Don't start with Genesis, and Genesis is really fun. Leviticus, a little heavy, a little dense, a little boring. But start with the, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> There's the 
lightning strike. In case strike. you get hit by lightning, <laughs> I just wanted to move over. Yeah. I didn't mean boring. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Hard to understand. I agree. Yeah. Yes. It can, so, be, it can be a little clunky. It can be clunky mm-hmm. if you don't understand it. So start with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or the, the letters in Paul, the, the New Testament, the story of Jesus and God's love poured out through. I, did I just say that Leviticus is no, boring? No, you said it right. I was just having fun with you. <laughs> a question from... I'm all nervous now. Yeah, don't, don't so be. So are we. <laughs> I, I've said the same. No, it, it, it's, it's not. Yeah, what you said, I agree with. Okay. Uh, a, uh, a question from Johnston Grimes campus uh, just came in. How can I fit my beliefs in God with physical science, evolution, et cetera? And I'm going to ask you for a PS on that too, Caroline, as a uh, medical doctor in addition to being a pastor. Uh, I will say this as a, as a lay person, sign, I'm from the science side, I love science, I always did as a kid growing up. Um, I, uh, I sneak around and watch the science channel on a regular basis, I read books about these things. I'm more into science than science fiction. Uh, but I, I, I've never understood, and I'll just kind of set the table and then I'd like you to take it deeper, Caroline. I've never understood um, those who turn it into an either or that you have to dismiss science in order to be a person of faith, or that you have to dismiss faith if you're a person of science. Uh, One of the greatest scientists in the last generation is Francis Collins, and he wrote a book uh, about evolution and creation in the Bible. Uh, I think it's called The Language of God. I'm not 100% sure about the title of it, but it's Francis Collins. I might look it up while I'm sitting here later. He, he, He's a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. He also is the person who pushed forward the Human Genome Project, which, as I understand it, is kind of starting to change medicine. Yes, And and the way we see the human body and and, and the way we treat it Mm -hmm. and illnesses and sickness. This is the the greatest scientist of our time, arguably. Uh, And he is a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I've never understood the conflict because if you look at the pattern of creation in Scripture, and you line that up with scientific views of the order of how things happened, there's a lot of alignment. And there isn't nearly as much conflict as a lot of people would suggest. But please take it from there. I love, this is my wheelhouse, being a scientist and and a theologian at the same time. You can be both. Um, It may make you a little schizophrenic, but you can be both. Um, (laughs) What happens, in my opinion, is in our culture today, there are two problems. We are biblically illiterate, number one, and number two, we are scientifically illiterate. What science is trying to do is ask, question, answer questions, and what the Bible is trying to do is answer questions. The, the questions that the Bible is trying to answer is, why are we here? Who created? Uh, uh, why did God create? You know, specifically yeah. about evolution. What science is trying to answer is the question of how. You cannot ans- ask the how question of the Bible, and you cannot ask the why and who question of science. They are two disciplines. They are two different ways of coming to truth. And as Augustine said, all truth is God's truth. And so I I see no problem. The more I delve into science, it makes so much sense from a faith standpoint. And the more I delve into the biblical text, it all makes sense. It all comes together that this loving God created out of love, out of his power, to create this, um, this intricate and amazing and extravagant creation that he populated with us, whom he loved so much that he sent his son to die for us when we screwed everything up. And out of that, he says, 
follow in my footsteps. Einstein says, I love science because I'm following in God's footsteps. That's what a scientist wants to do. He wants, he and she want to discover God through one angle, one facet of the diamond of this, this extravagant creation. And what theologians and people of faith want to do is the same thing. We're just coming at it from different angles. There is not this, this tension that developed, it was actually a political tension that developed about 150 years ago. Don't need to go into it now. You can be a person of faith who understands science. I think God actually calls us to that because God, I would argue, is an incredible scientist. I mean, you put it all together. Science! Bill Nye, the science guy. No. To serve the Lord, do we need to give up our work? Can we serve the Lord uh, as we are working for, uh, for, daily, for, for bread? Um, you can definitely serve God wherever you work. In fact, Martin Luther says, if you're a shoe cobbler, cobble shoes. That's what you've been created yep. to do. If that comes naturally to you, do that. But do it with the Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 mindset. That you are doing what you do in response to God's love. And while you do what you do, people see your light and the light that God is shining through you. And in that, sometimes, most of the time, almost all the time, the best evangelists or the best people who share God's love are you who are working in the workplace. I don't know if you know it or not, but in order for us to be able to talk to people, they need to come here. And in Romans chapter 10, it says, well, how are they going to come here if nobody tells them about it? And so we absolutely need to be the body of Christ wherever we find ourselves. And in that, uh, your work can take on an incredibly huge significance in the world around you. Thanks, Jeremy. Do Adam and Eve have belly buttons? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Innies, outies. I love it. I love it. That was asked last night, too. It must be a, you, got, you people are belly button obsessed. Um, most of the questions are very different, service to uh -huh. service. So all the services have their own tone, but I, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't there. I have no word from the Lord. Scripture's silent on this. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, there, there's the one that's sort of like that, which is um, if if... God created everybody, then who created God? You might hear that question a, a lot. It gets thrown out a lot for whether there can't be a God because if God made everything, then who made God? The question is flawed, is the problem. It's a good question to ask here, but those who ask it to say that, that's therefore a point toward you know, agnosticism or atheism, completely off base, not even logical, philosophically, doesn't make any sense. Because it assumes that God is something that Christians don't claim God is. It assumes God is finite. It assumes God has the same limitations we do. It assumes time and space dictate what God is capable of accomplishing. Time and space don't dictate what God is capable of accomplishing. God invented time and space. He's the author of time and space. The Bible's very clear on this. God is, was, and always will be. God is right now always will be forever and always has been. There never has been a time when God did not exist. God just always has been. Unlike, you say, well, we can't be. Well, you're putting human limitations on the creator of the universe, on God. You can do that, but it doesn't make sense to the testimony of scripture. It's not the God we know. We're not arguing for a God who's like us. 
We're not arguing for, a, we're not suggesting to, that people should believe in a God who's limited like a human being is. We're suggesting and professing a faith in a God who is what the Bible says, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the God who is, was, and always will be. The, and that's really good news for you, not just that this God always has existed, but it's good news for you and me when we think about eternity. It means this God always will exist. And if you belong to him through Jesus Christ, hear this good news, so will you. What he is, you will be. And so eternity starts to make a lot more sense just intuitively through the eyes of faith when we realize this God we worship is not bound by the things we're bound by. This God that we worship set these things up for the sake of good order on this planet and for us to make sense of life this side of heaven. But in eternity, God, the God of eternity, brings us together with him and for that eternity. So a God who's timeless means you can have a timeless and an eternal life too because you belong to him. How does God feel about the separation in politics? How can he bring Democrats and Republicans together? That would be a miracle. <laughs> well, God can't do that part. I'm but, sure. no. <laughs> no. but we see it happen here all we the time. We see it happen here all the time. The politics is the art of sharing power, all right? And it's God's heart that people to live together in harmony, serving God and each other. And what humans do in order to make that happen is, is politics, is learning how to share power. Currently in our culture around the world, we are struggling with that. Now, we've always struggled with that. It's, it's original sin. I want, I want to be in charge is what it is. Um, what is fascinating to watch is when people actually start listening to each other not to what's happening on cable news or what's on your Twitter feed and all that sort of thing, but actually listening to real people, to your neighbors, to the people in the grocery store, all of a sudden we realize that most of us have the exact same needs, wants, desires, and if we would just stop doing the labeling and instead love, I think a whole lot of different things would change. This congregation is really, really cool because we have here, uh, the Attorney General, who's a Democrat, yep. um, attends. We've had the uh, uh, Lieutenant House Governor. Lieutenant Governor. We've had the House, uh, the, the, uh, House Majority Leader, who uh, completely different political parties. And they are as far apart as possible. But guess what happens when we come together in Christ? We become one. And that's what God's heart is for us as a community. And if we start here, that will bubble out elsewhere. So we need to listen and love, and it will make a huge difference in our world. So well said, just as an addendum to that, the Attorney General, who's a Democrat, and the Lieutenant Governor, Governor-to-be soon, who's a Republican, are both part of this church family, and they're both speaking at our leadership conference in the fall, and I let them know when I invited them, I said, you realize who the other person is who's there? I don't know if you follow the local political news, but they're in a little bit of a disagreement politically right now over a certain issue. Uh, and they said, oh, total love and respect for each other because they're one in Christ and they know that that supersedes. If only the rest of us could live that way. Our congressman's sitting in the service right over there. I mean, we, we are, everybody's welcome here in this church, right, left, and in between. We aren't left wing or right wing, we're for the whole bird. Exactly. <laughs> is to help the other family, is it okay to make sacrifice of my own family? I would say there's, a, there's, a, there's two ditches in this. 
Sometimes we can say, I want my comfort to take precedence over everything, so I won't help anyone else because that might cost me something, my comfort. On the other hand, you'll have people that will, will exhaust themselves taking care of everybody else that they don't take care of the people in their own home. God calls us to, to the faithful middle in that. Mm-hmm. We're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We need to be reminded that sometimes our neighbor are the people who reside under the same roof as we do. Just as much as it is the person down the street, across town, and across the other side of, of the globe. And that takes sacrifice at times. It causes us to get out of our comfort zone at times, not in order to prove to somebody how good of a Christian we are, but because they absolutely need us to step in for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. $688,000 were given this past Lent. A lot of you sacrificed to give this past Lent to build churches to people you won't see until you get to heaven. For the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's, it's not a curse, it's a blessing, it's a joy that if you do it under the right motives, it's more of a blessing to you than it could ever be a sacrifice. One last question, we're starting, the band's starting to play, which is our sign, we asked them to do that. It's like the Grammys, we're getting played off stage. <laughs> oh, thank you for your good, thank you for writing the best sermon we've had around here in a long time. We, we really, your questions are awesome. I'm going to close with this one. This is a tough one. My dad died of colon cancer at age 44. We had to watch him suffer for a year. Why do bad things happen to good people? We could do a whole series of sermons on that. We did. In fact, I'd invite you to it. It was on the book of Job last fall. You can find it on our website for a a longer, deeper view on this. Let me sum it up as we close. Um, In... (laughs) In two days, I'm going to do a funeral for a two-year-old boy in our church family who died in a terrible accident last week. In uh, it, that evening, I think there's some talk about us hosting a service for the young girl in Perry who died of malnutrition mm-hmm. that'll be here at Hope. Um, this morning I woke up to hear the terrible news that uh, our old friend, Pastor John Klein, who served here at Hope for seven years with Caroline and I way back in the day. A lot of you don't, weren't around then and don't know who John is, but John was one of the pastors here and a brother in Christ to, to those of us who were here. He went out from Hope and became a missionary in Latvia and he came back uh, to Des Moines and now he serves the Lutheran Church in the Beaverdale area. There was a murder um, there at 2.30, or the police were called anyway, at 2.30 in the morning this morning. Um, devastating, De- devastating news, it, it, right in their church parking lot of a, of a Lutheran church in Beaverdale, for crying out loud. I, I reached out to John this morning, just, what do you say? I love you, John. I'm so sorry. We're praying for you. And don't just say you're going to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ as I pr- pray for him. Pray for this family that's going to be at the funeral of their two-year-old child on Tuesday in your church family. Pray, pray for the community of Perry. Pray, pray for people who are suffering. Pray for the person who wrote this question, who still obviously has some hurt, as they should, for a dad who died at 44 of colon cancer. Bad things happen to good people. We don't get to know why. 
And when we're around the places where that's happening, what we do is we represent Christ and we listen and we love and we support and we walk with them. If you take a step back from it theologically and biblically, we know why evil happens. It happens because we live in a fallen world because of sin. Not the sin of a two-year-old, not the sin of a, a girl in Perry, not the sin of, of you know, somebody uh, at a church in a parking lot today, but the sin of the world that's fallen away from the God of life. In this world, you're going to have trouble, Jesus says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Where there is no way, God provides a way. He provides a way. This isn't heaven yet, and I suppose all of these are reminders that we aren't in a perfect world yet. 15 murders in Des Moines so far. This is May this year. 15 murders in Des Moines this year. I'm not okay with that. This is my community. This is our city. And as the church, we have to do what we have to do and walk out on faith, not fear, and say it's not going to be like this. And, and let God's light shine. Please don't reduce Christianity to just, I need God's light to shine for me. Let it shine and reflect off of you. Let God's love come off of you to the world around you. Let it make a difference in this city. There's thousands of us in this church at all of our different campuses. You can make a huge difference in this city just by being you, by being faithful ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So that's our role as the church, this side of heaven, in a fallen world where Jesus said, you're going to have trouble because it's messed up. I'm turning it right side up, and that's the kingdom of heaven. You'll experience that too. In the meantime, I'll give you glimpses of heaven, and I'll provide a way. Where there is no way, I'll make a way. My light for your darkness, my hope for your despair, my life for your death, my promise that I'm an eternal God who will overcome all these things. Take heart of overcome the world. That's the good news that we have and that we share. And I don't want to minimize the suffering by saying, well, here's why, and here's all the... We know why theologically, but until we get there, until the kingdom comes, we, we don't know. People who say they know don't know. They're making it up. We don't know why. So don't accuse people of having suffering because you think they might have done something. Please, reflect the light of Jesus Christ and the love of God to the world around you. And just love and support and walk together with each other. We rejoice together, the Bible says in Romans 12, as the body of Christ, and we mourn together, the Bible says. We do both. And where there is no way, God makes a way. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for writing the sermon. Thank you, Caroline and Jeremy. Uh, we'll do this again another time.